I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly View system deal. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. This is the 8-9 Combo. This is the 8-9 Combo. I am Brett McKay and I'm very much looking forward to kicking off the first episode of our brand new podcast with the obvious co-host, Harry Jones. Hello, mate. We're going to do this. How's it, Brett? I also want to shout out to Chuck, whose immortal voice is now welcoming us. Yes. Chuck is a man that we know from the harbour in Sydney. He, he uh, picks up oysters. He manages bands. But uh, no, we're following a long line of eight niners, you know, like Pickamoles and Para, Heaslip and Murray, <laughs> Vermeulen and Dupree, uh, Kifu and Gregan, uh, Zinzan yeah. and the father of the Bashups, the good and the bad Bashups. Um, so, no, I'm very excited. Um, I, I don't know of anything I'd rather do right now than part with you. No, it feels like this is the right thing to do at this point in time in February, and there's no turning back, mate. The official launch of the 8-9 Combo rug, Rugby Podcast with Episode 1, and we're about to get arguably the biggest international rugby guest onto our first show mm-hmm. under the new independent banner. It doesn't get much more exciting than that. I am very excited. I'm 20% giddy. I'm 30% hungry, as always. I'm 10% amorous. Actually, I'm actually more hungry than normal because I was watching Italy versus um, Ireland, mm. and the the players on Italy sound like a menu. Lucchesi, Manoncello with a side of fischetti and a hint of zelocci was your favorite cannoni. And I'm like, you just need one guy playing his name Maladetto, and then you'll win. <laughs> we will come back to the six nations we will we will come back to the six nations we said during our teaser episodes last week that we weren't really going to change much about our for, our, our format and while we're still going to do heroes and zeros we've decided to give that a bit of a new name haven't we so here we go with cheers and jeers mate so hit me up with a cheers from the last week Three cheers. Uh, my first one is Amy Barrett Saron, the referee who yes. uh, she made the two un- under-20 captains sheepish by basically saying, I'm not really mad. I'm just disappointed, eh? Uh, <laughs> did you lie to me when you said you could control your guy? I love that man, man, young man management because they literally went back, you know, uh, just bashful almost and saying, yes. no, 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 you can trust us. Uh, second one is Harry Patterson, Scottish fullback. I think it is ninth professional match of his life is uh, playing the lonely fullback position against the Long Bong French and mm. uh, didn't put a foot wrong, created a beautiful try. Looked On a Scottish right. theme, I will stay. My final cheer is Scottish Enlightenment philosopher David Hume, who uh, <laughs> 270 years ago in Edinburgh said that there's no innate ideas. Uh, to be empirical, you have to be skeptical. And you, what can you really believe, Brett? So we saw that at the end of the match, there was a ball on the ground. A guy said, there's a ball on the ground. Probably. We all saw it. I could see it. Uh, and then, uh, what, not, not just metaphysically, the ball was on the ground. Mm. But this, this did not end the search for meaning. And so now we have uh, a loss for Scotland because, you know, there was a little tiny bit of existential doubt. 
I think we the only way to, the only way we're going to solve that is to get someone to run out a GoPro on a selfie <laughs> stick so the referee can bury it in and actually see it. <laughs> we need to get uh, cameras in that in the rucks. Tennis has a magical eye that seems to see where the ball yeah. is. I think we could probably do something there. We might be able to we might be able to put that to our to our guest in, in a moment. Um, I have a jeez <laughs> for you, mate, from the Southern Hemisphere, and it's uh, it's preseason injuries, and unfortunately, it's mm. preseason injuries. Uh, that happened in the Northern Hemisphere, funnily enough. Um, the Blues lost their recently renamed skipper Patrick Tupilotu to a broken jaw in their first half of their win over Suntory Sungoliath in Tokyo last weekend. And only 15 minutes or so after legendary Welsh fullback Lee Halfpenny was cited ripping into a harker for the Crusaders in Cork uh, against Munster, he left the field with a shoulder injury that's now going to rule him out for three or four months. And you just... You hate seeing preseason injuries at the best of time, but when they're really key players for for teams, that makes it all the worse. So, boo, jeez for that. I say, <laughs> I say, but mate, we have been talking about our first ever guest on the new pod for weeks now. So, let's just get straight into this. We had so many questions and so many topics we wanted to ask and discuss in our first episode of the 8-9 Combo, but we really wanted to be able to ask them at the highest level we possibly could. And they really don't get any higher than our very first guest for 2024. You might need to be standing for this one, Harry Jones, as we welcome to the 8-9 Combo Rugby Podcast, the man who captained England in 21 of his 34 tests. He was the captain of the 1980 British and Irish Lions Tour to South Africa, the former chairman of the Rugby Football Union in England from 2012 to 2016. And since 2016, he is the chair of World Rugby. Please welcome Sir Bill Beaumont. Hi, guys. Delighted uh, delighted to join you. So uh, I didn't realise you were split, uh, split between Australia and the, and the US. So uh, well, I I presume as Harry's in the US, Sibyl, it changes weekly. So um, I have right, to take yeah. his word on it. Yeah, I always want, I always imagined, uh, Bill, that you were in a World Rugby headquarters. It was a giant map, like those World War II movies, where you have the topographical <laughs> map and you have the regions, and, and you're sitting there moving like, around with pipe, sliders. And you have little you know, tanks and ships, and you stuff. How can we dominate <laughs> the world with rugby? Is that true? Uh, not really. No, I think so. I'm, uh, I'm actually sat in my my very uh, very pleasant office on the on the Lancashire coast, a place called Lidham's and Dance. It's a quite a nice day today. Actually, the sun shining. The uh, yep. So no, we don't. I don't sit there with a big map, and I can and I can show you moving <laughs> moving bits around here, there, and everywhere, and then then colouring them in. You know, sort of. Uh, <laughs> have we conquered? There are plenty of areas where we where we need to go and want to go. Indeed, mm. indeed. No, we'll 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 keep up the. Uh, oh, we've lost Harry briefly. Every now and again, this happens, Seville, and here he is. He's coming straight back in. He is coming straight back in. Yep. Are you okay there, mate? I'm I'm okay. I'm just the ice and snow is getting me. I'm on the did border. You just, <laughs> did you just jump jump borders there or something? We we do need to touch on on the knighthood, uh, Seville. You were first knighted in 2019, but a further gong in the new year's honours this year appointed. Knight Grand Cross of the Order of the British Empire for services to rugby and charity. Tell us what what did that mean to you and, and the family at, at New Year? It must have been a, a I mean, it, it's a huge honour anyway, but it it's been stepped up again. Oh, it's unbelievable. I think um, 
I never set out in rugby to a. But all I want to do is play for the local county. You know, I, I never mm. thought I'd be good enough, and then sort of uh, I did that. Then end up playing for England. And you think, well, that that's the highlight you can get, and then be lucky enough to go on a Lions tour, and then captain in England, and then uh, captain the Lions. So from a from a, a rugby point of view, then. I'd, I'd achieved everything that I ever yeah. dreamt of as a as a schoolboy of what any anybody wants to do. Any kid, girl or boy, when they set out, that's what you want to do. You want to put on the jersey of your country. And then I then had a, a bit of a uh, a ten years out of my rugby career because when I when I finished, I was an amateur mm. and I, I wrote a book. Well, I got somebody to help me to write it actually, and that <laughs> then deemed me as a professional. So I wasn't allowed to get back into the game. But people ah. don't realise that. For probably about eight or nine years. And then I was then asked to go on to the uh, the RFU, the English Rugby Union uh, Council. Yep. And then they put me on World Rugby. And uh, one thing led to another. But it's, uh, it's a huge privilege, you know. And mm. to to get a knighthood is something that, well, 2019, I did, never thought I was going <clears> to <throat> ever get. And then to get this sort of... Uh, Upgrade is is very very <clears throat> humbling when you look at uh, how few people have actually received it. Mm. Do you uh, does it get you a does it get you a, a closer car park at uh, at Buckingham <laughs> Palace? What does it, what does the upgrade entirely do? Uh, it enables me to uh, do very things like St Paul's Cathedral and things like that. You can have right. weddings there and sort of. Uh, uh, I've also uh, been nominated to. Uh, to a freedom of my local town here and something, and uh, also the city of London, so I can uh, actually uh, be able to take cattle across the uh, London Bridge and things like that. <laughs> I've, had hugely, I've, I've had some uh, had some unbelievable sort of uh, uh, accolades, which I, I I just look upon myself as Bill Beaumont, rugby enthusiast, rugby fanatic. Who go to watch the local team play every time at home? The team that I played for, who my father played for, my sons played for, and my my grand my grandchildren played there. So to me, that that is what rugby is all about. Yeah, when I go down yeah. there at the weekend, tell me how, how did you get into um, uh, into the administration side of things? And and I guess the question behind that is, in the amateur days, what what was in it? For you to to do to make that move, well, we had a day, I had a day job. <laughs> Every, yes. Everybody, every had a day did, job. Yeah. I think that is actually one of the unique things about the game of rugby, which still occurs in probably ninety nine percent of all sheds or dressing. You call them yes. sheds, we call them dressing rooms uh, around the globe. That it, it is actually a group of uh, girls, girls, women, men, boys. You sit there, and you're all from different walks of life, normally. Yes. And and the thing that I used to love about the game was the different skill set that you had in the dressing room, within the dressing room. And it didn't matter if you were a lawyer or if you a truck driver, uh, a lot of school teachers, or whatever you did, that you were accepted for what you actually contributed to that team. Mm-hmm. And, yes. that, and to me... That's a great thing about the great the game. It was that massive camaraderie. And a great pal of mine summed it up. He said it didn't matter if you had a thin wallet or you had a thick wallet. 
then you were all the same in that dressing yeah. room. And to me, True. that's a great thing about the game. And that still exists globally in, I would think, 98% of, of, of all of all, changing, all team games in rugby. Yeah. No, it's certainly true. It's certainly true. The the game has had its its its, its pinnacle. The, uh, another rugby world cup in in France last year. In the in the grand scheme of rugby world cups, um, where did twenty twenty France twenty twenty three rank in your eyes? Oh, right up there, right up there. I think certainly the passion of the game in in France. I know you probably over there for it, witnessed it. It's sort of uh, I think. Uh, the French know how to put on a show, and they certainly knew how to put on a show. I think the uh, uh, the local buy-in, sort of, you go to, mm-hmm. to fantastic rugby cities like Toulouse, for instance, who are used to staging massive games of rugby, but the enthusiasm that you had. Uh, I went to uh, Lille, which is not a hot, hotbed of rugby, really, Lille. Two games, uh, France against Uruguay, then went back for the final pool game, and it was Romania uh, against Tonga. Yes, was the Romania Tonga. Yeah, and Sunday afternoon game meant nothing really, apart from the pride of playing in a World Cup. Over forty thousand people there, absolutely mm. rammed the stadium. Yeah, so uh, you know, I think uh, it's a great one. Japan also, Japan took us to a different level. The first yeah. World Cup, Rugby World Cup in Asia. What a success that was. What a yeah. great success. And That's so great. one of the issues was that we, we had such a, a barren time between Japan and really 18 months out before this World Cup because of the, uh, the COVID pandemic. Yes. So nobody was allowed to play. Nobody could go anywhere. And so... It probably made it slightly harder, a bit more challenging to grow the game, which we are endeavouring to do. In in Asia, for instance, we have to uh, mm. really grow that the game there because it's sort of uh, just a huge sporting area. Yeah, yeah. There must have been times during the pandemic, you know, 2020, 21, 22, particularly, where you wondered whether we'd get to France in 2023. Yeah, and you know, World Rugby got criticised because of the uh, the draw for the pool draw in mm. in France. And look, the only thing we could go on was the uh, the result from the World Cup. And obviously, then mm. in the interim, you had sides like like Ireland, for instance, who almost well, I think they were number one seeded sort of nation. So the, all we could do for the World Cup draw was go from the seeds that we'd had the the final placings from from Japan. I yeah. think when we go to Australia, that the draw will be laid, made it later, and so that can probably reflect more of the the true actual playing form of, of mm. countries uh, nearer to, nearer to the tournament. But as you say, that sometimes I sat in this office and I thought, "Crikey, you know, what are we going to do?" You know, sort of uh, everywhere's closed down. There's sort of like tumbleweed going through the middle of London. You know, sort of what is happening to our sport and. To be perfectly honest, if we hadn't have had the World Cup in Japan, if if that had been cancelled, then that would have put a lot of uh, unions and federations in real jeopardy. So as it was, we were able to have banked our money in a way and yeah. uh, and help countries out. 
to that port. Yeah. That's what we're here for. Pending, pending no further global pandemics, Harry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Bill. <laughs> Bill, actually, I've met you before. I, I met you in 1980. It was a strange meeting. Uh, I was um, captain of the under-16 provincial team, so we got the prime seat, front row, Newlands, and I was watching you. Um, you guys lose to Rob Lowe in the box, 26-22 uh, in the first test. And uh, it, sometimes in rugby, even then, there were the moments where the, the audience would kind of, the crowd would kind of fall silent. And I just picked that moment to say something really horrible to you. And I just want to say I'm really sorry for calling you uh, a big bottom bastard as you were lining up for the line out. Um, <laughs> well, I, 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 I feel like it genuinely, say, Harry, it, it genuinely hurt ball, you. I, you looked, you looked at me a like a lot oh. worse. Being <laughs> a lot worse at, no. many stadia, at many rugby grounds and stadia. And uh, actually, probably a lot of them in England as well. So I never took it to heart. Sorry. So I'll, I'll forgive you. <laughs> Well, that was back, just... when, uh, back when lineouts were elbow thrashing, earthbound mosh pit of uh, casual violence. So I do think it took you a little bit back because of, of the pitch or something. I just said it so clearly and I wanted to apologize. <laughs> but I mean, speaking of lineouts, lineouts have come a long way since your day. Would you like to be lifted that high in the air or would you prefer to be on terra firma? Well, my, most of my lineout would be more in a sideways direction. Than actually, uh, <laughs> yeah, an upward direction. I remember on that tour we played uh, Western Province, and I think there was a, a set row that I was marking called Henny Becker, who was absolutely enormous guy. And I still work in match. So I was on a good day, six foot three and a half, whatever that is. And he must have been almost seven foot tall, this guy. No, he, he was a legitimate six foot ten. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. Peter Wheeler, our hooker, was throwing about to throw the book to the line out. He came up to me and said, It looks as though you stood in a hole. <laughs> 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 but I did manage to win on my own ball. Did manage to win my own ball. That's so, the important uh, thing. Look, I think I think line out's a real work of art now. A real work of art. Mm. And uh I remember listening to Martin Johnson that when he first started, there were about seven different calls. And so when I went, and now there must be about 40 different calls, I should imagine, oh, that they have. Uh, and they changed, they changed where they, uh, I know my son is a pro player, and he told me that they'll see where the opposite numbers are and then change the numbers. So you always, somebody gets a, a free jump or what have you. But I think sort of, uh, it is fantastic athleticism. You know, in it like like kickoffs, you know, thing like yeah. you hold yeah. up there for the for, for catching the ball, and uh, you know, not in my day. I could if you kept my, kept my feet firmly on the ground, especially <laughs> right. when it came to line out time. Yeah, and you cle you you cleared it out with your uh, what I called was your magnificent uh, bottom. So again, I want to apologize for that terrible insult. But you see, you seem a bit obsessed with it. But I think let's move on. Maybe I'm, just, I'm glad I'm glad we can clear the air forty six yes, yes. years later. Yeah. So if the lineout is our favorite child of a set piece, you know it's uh, ornate, it's sophisticated, it's got all these calls, and I think it's one of the signature looks of a rugby match. We seem to always be arguing about the scrum, you know, what to do with yeah. it, how much time it stops, how do we handle that? What are your views on the role of the scrum? Well, Can it be gentrified like a lineout, or should it well, just well, be a Harry, actually, that we've got a big meeting coming up in two weeks' time uh, about the shape of the game. And mm. I've been down uh, talking to lots of people. I think, look, I think we've got to speed the game up, in my opinion. You know, we've got to and the time that it takes, take too much time out of the game. And I think that certainly 
where we will be looking. And I don't, I don't know because I don't have the exact answer at the moment. And that's what I'm hoping to get in two weeks' time when we assemble all the great brains of, of all the uh, rugby playing nations who are going to sit around. Um, basically, we will table, everybody will table and say, what do you think are the major issues in the game? And to me, it is got to get more ball in play. Uh, there are many ways in which you can play rugby, by the way. And I think we should never lose sight of that, that fact. That if you want to play a forward-orientated game, uh, that, that's fine. But also, if you want to play 15-man rugby wide to keep the game as wide as possible, then also, it should, should be many, many ways to do it. I think there's a lot, to me, there's a lot of, lot, probably too much kicking. I think scrums need to be speeded up. And I just think at big occasions that uh, we're missing a trick, that we don't actually let the spectator in the stadium know what's happening. Yes. But to me, that, that is a major thing. If you're trying to, like, obviously, Super Bowl last night, you know, every single decision is relayed to the crowd. Yes. Now, I'm not saying that right, but sort of why, so the referee goes to the TMO and what we should be doing in the stadium is saying the reason why. Yeah. Which you know when you're on TV, when you're watching at home or online. Yes. Yes. Then you know, you know, obviously, you know what's happening. But if you're actually in the stadium, then it so we need we need to try and get as much information, uh, I think, for the paying spectator as possible. Yeah, it's, dead, it's, it's dead time. And when you're in the stadium, yeah. I was in Adelaide for Wallabies Box, and there was the, the thing about Nick White, and it literally was about five minutes of us just sitting yes. in the sun. And everyone was asking the neighbor, what do you think's happening? I don't know. What do you think? Uh, yeah. So that can possibly be a good way to do it. Um, is there a conundrum? Shouldn't, it, the, shouldn't ever the, be, it shouldn't ever be a disadvantage to be at a game live. Right. No, no, I just think the way in which we can do it, which, uh, look, we're not perfect. And we're always listening. So I'll listen to you two guys and you will have really good ideas, maybe. And, and not, uh, <laughs> and that, I guess, he yeah. has he has definitely listened to us. Yeah, and <laughs> so look, and I think it's important to know what the paying spectator wants out of a game. I think you will always have the I will call him the anorak who will always go and pay his money, and he's just quite happy whatever the game he wants his team to win, and that's fair enough. But I do think we have to try and entertain the crowd so that yeah. there's no downtime in the stadium so that you always yeah. know what, what is happening. And I, and I, I know it depends on, you might be some new stadium, you might be some old stadium, the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, screens might not be as good in some that they are in others. So I just think there's lots of things at the top level we could do uh, because at the end of the day, we've got to remember that 98% of all our rugby players I just play for a bit of fun, a bit of enjoyment. True. Uh, uh, but the thing that really gets them to play is seeing exciting <clears throat> men and women playing the game of rugby. Bill, is there a conundrum, though? Because as we just try to decide whether we're more of a collision game or an illusion game, and we have the backdrop of the concussion litigation in our minds, if we have you know so much fewer lineouts, depowered scrum, more ball and play, way more, four times as many rucks and therefore about three times as many tackles in a match. Um, and all the players are bigger, fitter, stronger, etc. Are we running into a difficulty of managing that uh, 
mm. a crisis in our game when we're also trying to do the growth entertainment aspect? Yes, it's sort of you've got to you've got to choose the balance, haven't you, Harry? Yeah. You've got to choose the balance between the game is a physical contact game. And so the game is about the there is a uniqueness about the game of rugby, and the scrum is unique, the lineouts are unique, uh, and I think there are ways in which our interpretation maybe around look at the, the breakdown, uh, sort of can we speed the breakdown up? Can we maybe give a bit more advantage to the attacking team as opposed yeah. to giving advantage to the defensive team? So there's lots of things you can do. Um, but the important thing is to to trial them because yes. there's always the unexpected unexpected consequence of you make a rule change here and then you might affect something over there. But rugby, look, like every every main, every major team sport has its challenges with participation numbers. It's not not sort of rugby. You look at other sports certainly in the uh, in established markets. It actually growing the game in an established market whereby mm -hmm. some some unions and federations are seeing that numbers have actually dropped off in france for instance the numbers have gone up because they have in uh, a lot of their federal rugby then basically the tackle height which has now been adopted globally in the uh, sort of uh, in, in the amateur sort of each country can adopt it in its own way i think that that will help and i just think that uh, there is far, far more, uh, as, a, as a World Rugby organisation, we would spend a lot of time looking at player welfare. Player mm -hmm. welfare is the number one uh, on, on my agenda. Every single meeting that I go for, that's the first thing, right? What, what are we doing? What are we doing about player welfare? Yeah. How are we making the game safer, but still retaining the uniqueness of the game? And I think at the highest level now, we have uh, integrated uh, mouth guards that you have independent doctors. Uh, you've got the HIA protocols. So I think, you know, we, whilst there are collisions in the game, what we try and do is uh, with the penalising, the, the high tackle above sort of uh, shoulder height, the head, head tackle, things like that, penalising and giving probably more yellow cards, more red cards than there have been. But that is because we want to make the game as safe as, as we can do. Mm. You're, you're, you're convinced that we're you're convinced that we're going the right way about this, Seville, aren't you? And your own career was cut short by concussion concerns. So you're you're confident that, that rugby as a sport is uh, is is leading the way it should in this particular area, being a collision sport. Absolutely. I feel yeah. sort of, uh, uh, I'm working in collaboration, not just isolated, by the way, uh, yes. uh, with World Rugby, that we have to take all our partners with it. We have in New Zealand, you know, they've had the Orchid study, they've had the Targo study, they've had, yeah. you know, and uh, I know in Queensland, for instance, they, they have, a, they have a, a study themselves and that they are <laughs> extremely strong on educating sort of all the schools and things like that. And that's what, you know, every rugby club you go to, you know, people are aware of mm. of head knocks and concussion. Well, I yeah. played, it was a stupid badge of honour to stay on the pitch. Yeah. You didn't go off, did you? you know, no, you I, 
You, got, you played you a got, whole you played a whole game and didn't remember yeah, what you did. Yeah, I did that before. Yeah, I played yeah, the entire match. The yeah. Yeah. Whereby yeah. now I see games at community level, sort of uh, third, fourth division, and as soon as a player goes down, they come off the field, and you've got yeah. to have a mandatory stand down period for that. And I think that is so important to keep educating uh, coaches, keep educating mm. players that it's not brave to stay on the field and you've got to come off the field. Mm. So two things that occurred to me on that, Bill. One is, um, you know, we put a lot on the refs right now. We place a lot of, of this share of the onus right now on referees. When I watched the excellent documentary, Whistleblowers, I was struck by the loneliness of the top ref in a top match. Uh, you know, unlike many other major sports like the NFL, Super Bowl, there's a team of referees, NBA, same thing. And they, they coordinate, they collaborate, and they announce it. And there's almost safety in numbers. In the, <clears throat> and is there a move, should there be a move, where we have more than one referee on the pitch? You already have ARs on the touchline. Should they come in and be able to do rock, scrum, maybe some offsides, given that marking where the ball goes out is not the be-all and end-all in rugby? Uh, there's only a couple of times that matters, 50-22 and maybe a five-meter. But the rest of it could be helped by having more people around the tackle zone. Well, certainly there's some countries, certainly uh, south of the uh, equator, who would certainly look to try and maybe uh, to get two referees. And that's something that will be on the field. And that'll be something that we'll be discussed in two weeks' time. Uh, yeah. Also, I think one of the issues is that when I played, players made mistakes and referees had the odd error. <laughs> and everybody accepted it because you didn't have the endless replays yeah. and the, the basically the game just flowed because there were no stopping it. Whereby now, quite rightly, you have to look at the player safety. So if there's a high tackle, referee will have to see it. Now it goes on report, which is, I think, take that away from the referee making a decision when you've got either 70,000 spectators uh, cheering the tackle or you've got 70,000 booing it. You know, sort mm. of, uh, you know, you've got to take that away. But that's now independently done in, in the bunker. I just think that it is a complicated game. Uh, isn't that yeah. isn't that isn't that part of the charm though? I mean, in the fifty years that we're talking about seventy four to twenty four, the growth was phenomenal. Are, are we in danger almost uh, critiquing our own sport too harshly? Like it's working. People want to play it in Chile. People want to play it in uh, Portugal. Yeah, isn't it, isn't, isn't, Uruguay, isn't that isn't that part of it? Yeah, you name it: Uruguay, Chile. You know, mm. with all countries. Portugal. Look how well they've done, and then. Amazingly, Belgium beat Portugal the other day in, yes. in, in, the, in the European game, which is which is not great for Portugal, but it's great for great for European rugby. It's great for Belgium. Look, the game is still it's a vibrant game that people want to get involved in and want to want to play it. And I always think that certainly was is there a risk in playing rugby? Was well, a risk if you get in your car and drive anywhere? Yeah, true. But if, uh, is a rewards in rugby, without a doubt, there are rewards. Mm. And I think the rewards of being part of a team, you know, <clears throat> working together, a really good sort of work ethic. And also, let's remember, I've had a bit of fun. 
Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. There's, there's a game to be enjoyed out there, isn't there? Remember that this is a sport for enjoyment. You know, you yeah. play because you want to enjoy yourself. Yeah. You should never yeah. lose sight of that either. Mm. Do we do we do enough um, to make sure that the way the game is officiated and the way judiciary situations uh, played out? Do we do enough to make sure they're in sync? And and we've we've been talking about you know tackle heights and and, and foul plays are an obvious one in that. And the very obvious example I think of in asking that question is that we start all foul play at mid-range. So it all starts at six weeks. But in the absolute majority of cases, Bill, we end up giving a 50% discount. And then we go a week further with with the advent of tackle school. So six weeks becomes two. Are we, are we actually doing enough to change behaviours? Is well, that something that we need to look at? Well, Harry's the lawyer. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> well, just, uh, just make, uh, make, uh, me, make uh, me the czar uh, of all punishments. I won't get involved in the judicial <laughs> process that there are yeah. thresholds that, you know, the, the, the people who sit on these boards are independent and it is not for me to question right or wrong. I don't think you get mitigated down if you go on a tackle course mm. and things like that. Anything you can to try and educate the player to become a be- a better tackler, but I, I guess my I guess my point is, Bill, that we we on one hand we're saying we need to start at six weeks to send a message to make sure that we are changing behaviours, but then the very ne- well not the very next step, but but part of that process then seems to undermine that. So uh, maybe we're not necessarily looking at the thresholds or the entry point, but maybe it's the discounts. We well, we're, we're always looking at how we change the entry points. Yeah, you know, they have changed significantly over, true. Last, over the last few years. Yeah. You know, and sort yeah. of uh, look if you if you commit some of the worst acts on a rugby field, then you ain't going to be back in two or three weeks. I'll no, tell you that. no, that's true. Quite right, that's certainly so. true. Yeah. Also, there 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 is there is fewer high tackles. I mean, in empirical basis, if you watch matches from thirty years ago versus now. Uh, the players are getting it. I just, yeah, I think to Brett's point, it's more the, the incoherence of it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a matter of educating players. It's a matter of educating coaches. That if you go high and a player ducks, then you risk the chance, and you don't. Yeah. You risk the chance that you're going to get sent off the field. And yeah. that, that ain't going to help your team or help you. <clears> you're going to be missing games going forward. You know, yeah. which in a professional year will cost you money. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt. So, look, tackle heights, I think, have significantly, and um, we're, we're now waiting to get all the evidence back that obviously yeah. uh, we're in the queue of the game. But the, I'm led to believe that there is a, a, a reduction in head injuries due to the, uh, the tackle. Is, uh, which is, I, I think the evidence. Which is really is, promising. The evidence is there. And that, that is, you know, why we do it. That's why we do yeah. it. You know, uh, cool. we've seen it in, in, in France, we've seen it in New Zealand, we've seen it in, in the UK. There is significant reduction in injuries with the uh, with the tackle height coming down. Bill, one of the most charming things about rugby, I think we all feel, is the connection between the amateur club uh, game and the highest levels, that there's more of a connection there than you would see in, say, many other you know, collision-based sports, right. for sure, and also team sports. Um, how... 
I want to talk to you about, is it Filled Rugby Union Club that you're a member of, that you started at? Is that right? Well, the locals would call it Filed. Filed? So if Filed... Filed is an area. And in fact, the ground is half a mile from where we are, where I'm speaking from at the moment. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting when you look at trying to look forward, like we're doing. Like, what's coming up? What are the next twenty years? But look backward. Uh, filed their first year of gate receipts was fifty-seven pounds, and they 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 tossed a coin to decide whether they would play football or rugby at that club. Correct. And with that with that fifty-seven pound budget, they were able to build a stand. Uh, it's interesting <laughs> now. We we have money flowing through the English sure, right. um, <laughs> Premiership like crazy, and there's still there. A club, Clubs are going broke. I mean, what is yeah. the way for us to go forward? Should we look backward and see, was there a different way to do this? Um, where you have local, powerful rugby grassroots thriving without dumping trucks of money on it? I, th I think, look, how the game of rugby changed from being men-only Saturday afternoon sport? Yes. And administrators should accept that that there will still be lots of players who want to play. So now you've got to have, quite right, so you've got to have women's sections and your, uh, and your mini juniors, girls, boys. I know. I, my my grandson, my granddaughter, they, they play for the file club, one in the under-8s, the other in the under-7s, I think it is. And, right. and he's the only girl in a boys, in, not a boys team, he's open to anybody. She's the only girl in the team. And she's the best tackler. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, you look at it and think, well, as administrator, what can we do? And certainly try and generate funds that you in, improve facilities. Because if you improve facilities, let's say the Far Rugby Club, then kids, when they come down, they have a decent pitches, they've got decent changing rooms, they're going to be, and the, also, the, the biggest point is invest in coaching. Yes. You have to invest at the rugby club and union federation, invest in coaching because good coaches produce good players and they make it, they make the game exciting, they make it accessible, and they make it, make it fun. Mm. If you have poor coaches, poor administration, you have poor rugby clubs. And that's why they're in decline. Yeah, so there's no yeah, point. No point. Rugby clubs always pointing the finger at the uh, at the at the, uh, the union or the federation. A lot of it is up to you. And really, what this would go back to when they had the toss of the coin at the Ansel Institute just down the road here in 1919, whether they're going to play uh, football or rugby. That those guys were very much part of the community. And to be fair, the far rugby club now is a real focus in the community. Mm. What sort of footballer would you have been, Seville, if, if the coin oh, the other way? Still, I still enjoy watching football. Yeah. I'm a very enthusiastic Blackburn Rovers supporter. Oh, right. You've never heard of Blackburn Rovers. No, we but definitely we, have. We, definitely we have. are one of the few teams that actually uh, have won the Premiership. I was going to say, you were the first, first team to win the Premiership, weren't you? Yeah, we're having a bit of a tough time at the moment. We're... Uh, we're in the in the championship, not doing too yeah. well. We've um, we've had a we've had a great conversation here, Seville, and I think I know the answer to this. Hearing what you just said about your grandkids playing, are you are you excited about the future for the game and and where it is 
heading as as a game for, for, for all? Look, there are massive opportunities for the game of rugby. We are looking at a growth plan to go into the USA, up Canada, and if you think of how many fantastic athletes there are in Africa that we should 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 access to try and take the game. And it will only come with good organization, good good coaching, and getting teams fixtures. Now that might sound a stupid thing to say, yeah. but it doesn't matter if you're a club or a country, what you actually need are fixtures. Because if you don't have fixtures, then basically you have nothing to or nobody to themselves against. Mm. And also, really excited about the women's game. Women's game is the fastest uh, part of our sport. You know, if you look at the... I went to watch the Six Nations game between England and France. Over 50,000 people in Twickenham. Mm. The World Cup uh, final, New Zealand against England. Over 40,000 people. Yeah, they yeah. Got the World Cup here, 25 opening game at the uh, Stadium of Light, I think, at Sunderland, hoping for over 50,000 people. There is huge interest and huge growth in the women's. And also, let's not ignore, ignore the, the sevens. got the Olympics coming up this year yes. in, in Paris. <laughs> I was in Perth two weeks ago to watch that leg of it. There are some unbelievable athletes who, uh, who really excel at that form of the sport. Argentina were unbelievable, and, were. Ireland, and Ireland's women were amazing. How they uh, how they beat uh, beat the the Australians? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a great leg from an Australian point of view, Bill. But you're right; it was fantastic to see <laughs> Perth, Ireland Perth, and Argentina have success like that. Probably Perth are fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah, great, I've heard that. I tell you what, it's a great city, and so enthusiastic and good people there. Yeah, great, great. So, Bill, we, we, we must thank you enormously for your, for your time and for agreeing to be our, our first guest. We've had a great conversation. Harry never did tell me how hard he had to work to convince you to come on, but we're incredibly grateful that you've given us some time for, well, he, he, for our he, first episode. He, he persuaded me because uh, he was at law school. Is that right, Harry? With one yep. of my colleagues, Bob Latham, who uh, yes. is on the World Rugby Exec Committee, and he he's also Spoke been to Bob on last the year. Yes, if it's good enough for Bob, it's good enough for me. <laughs> what? Well, I, I threw in a packet of wine gums as well. That was good on you, Sabil. It's been fantastic okay. to speak to you. Thanks so much. Good luck. Cheers. Cheers. This is the 8-9 Combo Rugby Podcast. Great to be with you still. I'm Brett McKay. This is Harry Jones. And, mate, Sir Bill Beaumont, what a way to start a new podcast. That was fantastic. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, good chatting to Bill. Um, I thought he was open. Um, it's interesting that he's back at Lancashire on that filed peninsula, um, kind of doing the things that got him to fall in love with rugby in the first place. Yeah. And if there was one critique I'd make of what rugby is it doesn't really humanise some of these figures enough uh, and remind us that it's, it's, it all comes back to that. You fall in love with yeah. the odd shape ball and you're running around smashing guys and it's legal. Uh, and then, you know, how do we keep ourselves safer? How do we grow it? These are all the, the, the questions that keep him up at night, I suppose. Although 
to be fair, I felt like he was remarkably at peace with it all and doesn't necessarily sit around racking his brain. I think he's generally no. an op a rugby optimist. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's a really good way of putting it. And, and, and he's so right about, like, sevens is huge. The women's game is huge. Um, his point about the growth of the women's game was was spot on there towards the end of it. So uh, just, yeah, fantastic to speak to him and, and, and very grateful that he was able to give us half an hour or so um, for our first episode. Mate, one little change that we are going to make to the format in 2024 is to sort of dedicate you know, 10 minutes or so, plus or minus every week to the various competitions around the world and touch on the major talking points as we go through them. And there's no doubt at the moment that the the biggest rugby ticket on the face of the earth is the Six Nations at the moment. We saw the second round played on the weekend. Uh, Scotland suffered heartbreak at Murrayfield in the aforementioned held up no try. Uh, England... I won't say they returned to form, but they did enough to beat Wales, who were a lot better than they were the week before against France. Um, and Ireland just rolled on, didn't they, against Italy, who were actually pretty good, I thought, against England the first week. So um, it really looks like it's not just England's tournament, uh, sorry, it's not just Ireland's tournament to lose from here, but it's who's going to stop them winning a Grand Slam again? I mean, so it has to be England now. Once Marseille mm. went the way it did, which, you know, basically, let's, let's be honest, the French look fat. Um, they literally are just <laughs> overweight. Um, the Scots are a wee, wee bit mad. They just have a, a knack of finding a way to do something that hurts themselves. Wales is, um, like Rian Lowe says, a thousand ants crawling on your arse. So uh, Wales is just trying to do a rebuilding year. And they have full permission, right? They can get one win and they're yes. fine. So there's not really a lot of pressure. Once the French folded, um, they're really it's all on England, and England can spoil Irish hopes. That's, is yes. it the most likely? No, but it happens at Twickenham. At Twickenham. Uh, England is playing a style that would be the style like Ren Dave Rennie did uh, and the box did, where you can keep Ireland under 20, which is the key. If you want to yes. go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, no, England's not going to do that. So at this stage of development, England has shown that they could make perhaps um, blitz enough Get in, the, get in the head of Jack Crowley, a young fly-off. That's the only hope. But I would say this, by England winning, it kept the tournament alive because had England mm. lost, I think it would have been over. I think, it would I have think, been a cakewalk, uh, yes. Snorefest, true. yeah. So I do think the the old great tournament, which is wonderful, the, annual, the best annual tournament, it's still alive, but now we all have to be kind of secretly, grudgingly supporting England. <laughs> yeah, and that was an interesting. So that was the, the game I watched the most of uh, over the weekend, England-Wales. And I still came away from that thinking, I don't know the best team won on the day. It, <laughs> yeah, seemed right. to me that, it seemed to me that the team making the line breaks and the team looking most likely was not the team in white. Tommy Turnover. Look, it's Ireland's mm. tournament, and I, I, I want to say something here, clear here. I just want Ireland to be pushed to the hilt and have an actual meaningful match against England, but I still yes. will always back Ireland over England. Um, and England's, uh, Ireland's playing beautiful rugby, a little bit flattered by the, by the Italians who, you know, really – let's stop saying Italy's in a tournament because it helps everyone score tries. So uh, that, mm. that, that's the truth. There are other teams but, that – But England If didn't... there was relegation promotion – there might yeah. be other teams that would fit in there better and give people a harder time, but but they I, were really good against England in the first week, though. That's true, but they kind of seem to run out of petrol in the yes. second yeah. or third round. So that, yeah. 
I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't see anyone stopping a repeat slam. And we've got to then come up with a really cool name for a repeat grand slam, slam bam, the grand slam. I don't know. But the Irish will probably have something. Slam bam. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we, we'll see. I, I, I just think that Ireland looks like supremely confident right now. They do. Yeah. Jack, Jack Crowley looks. It's interesting that in the middle of that island team that is, you know, built around the strength of, of Leinster, you know, like genuine world beaters on the professional stage, that it's a couple of guys from Munster yeah. organising the team at nine and ten. That's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? And they've got depth, you know, Steve McCloskey is, is playing really well. You've got Henshaw yeah. pushing. So you've got, you know, Ringrose, Henshaw, McCloskey. Akin. Henshaw was good. Double barrel midfield. Uh, and also the young the young gun, Joe McCarthy, you know, comes in and just shakes up the whole lock crew. Yeah, yeah. they just look really good. I cannot wait to see them go to South Africa and, and try to win a series there. Yeah, no, that'll be something. Absolutely. Um, Super Rugby Pacific Trials, the last weekend of those were played over the weekend. The, the Blues and Chiefs um, have been in Japan for, for two weeks. Uh, the Blues had a big win over the Yokohama Cannon Eagles. Uh, it was 57-22 in Yokohama. The Chiefs just got away beating uh, the Kubota Spears Funabashi Tokyo Bay. 35-30 at the Prince Chichibu Stadium, the home of the Sunwolves. Oh. Chichibu. Chichibu. Um, so that was... Um, the Blues had a rough time of it the week before from memory, so they, they bounced back. In Australia, um, the ACT Brumbies beat the Western Force over in Perth 22-20. The Force had a conversion after the siren to level it and just pushed it wide. So that was uh, that was a, a near thing. Queensland gave New South Wales a good old-fashioned touch-up, though, 32-7, and the seven was a penalty try. So there's a few questions being asked of the perennial February champions in Super Rugby. Never mind that. Super Rugby Pacific begins uh, next weekend, the weekend of the 23rd, 24th uh, of Feb. The Super Round in Melbourne is uh, round two. That's the first weekend of March. The the URC, the United Rugby Championship, the IRC, uh, the top 14, League One in Japan, they all resume this weekend coming the Premiership is back that same weekend, the 23rd to the 25th of February, and we will keep talking about it every week right here on the 8-9 Combo. This is the 8-9 Combo. Harry, some news of the last seven days or so. Um, from an Australian point of view, the Wallabies and Wallaroos home schedule of matches was confirmed on Friday last week. Um, the Wallabies will play Wales in Sydney and Melbourne in July and then Georgia back in Sydney on July 20. It'll be the first time they've been sighted on Australian shores in a long time, if not probably ever. Uh, they play two rugby championship games against South Africa in August uh, in Brisbane and Perth. Uh, first Bledisloe game, and it'll be a rugby championship match as well against New Zealand in Sydney in September 21. They'll then go to Wellington and play second Bledisloe test. The rugby championship games against Argentina will be in South America, and spring tour fixtures are still to be confirmed. The Wallaroos play Canada in Sydney in May, the USA in Melbourne in May, Fiji in July, that's a double header 
uh, with the, the Wales game in Sydney and then New Zealand at Ballymore in July as well. So that'd be really good to see all that play out. I'm, I'm going to come see you uh, for the Butterslows. I'm going to come for the, the okay. day game. You know? So I'll be up there. Yeah, okay. and then I'll we'll see that over up. to the Caketon, Wellington and watch the other bled. Um, right no, very excited. So the, the travel budget of 8-9 is obviously greatly expanded. So I'm excited is about this? that too. Yeah, I will yeah. believe that when I am with you. I'll show it to you when I come there. I'll bring out to my, my wallet. Good <laughs> New Zealand uh, rugby confirmed about a week ago that the All Blacks will play 14 tests in nine countries in 2024, including five home matches in Dunedin, Auckland and Wellington. They'll also play Fiji at the Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego in July. Um, nice. Back-to-back uh, -back tests in South Africa as part of the Rugby Championship. Rob Valentini took out his first John Eels medal last week after being runner-up in 2022. Uh, Eva Carpani was named the Wallaroos Player of the Year, so congratulations to them. South Africa will host back-to-back -back World Rugby Under-20s Championships. World Rugby confirmed that uh, late last week. The Under-20s Championship we played over five match days uh, in the Western Cape regions. Your neck of the woods, Stellan It's so It's going to be so down. muddy. I'm going to tell you right now. It's That's be been the criticism already. Yes. Yeah. And that was like a lesson that wasn't learned from, from last year. Speaking of your stomping grounds, South African Rugby Union is supposedly on the verge of completing a multi-million dollar investment with American sports company Ackley Sports Group. Uh, the company confirmed Thursday last week they're negotiating a partnership agreement which will invest in the game at all levels in the Republic, which is uh, which is obviously... That's obviously actually a, a really, really big deal, guys. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. Se Seattle group that's actually, that knows what they're doing. Uh, it's not these, you know, the bad guy in the, the pantomime villains of capital, uh, venture capitalists. <laughs> this is the good group. Yeah. The valuation is interesting of, of basically the Bach brand at 375 million US dollars. That is actually higher uh, than people believed, and it puts them a little bit above the All Blacks. Um, it so it's it it could well be good above. news though for for a place like Australia to actually get their mind around that it's not about um, the old ways of investing. There's there's actually groups out there that are not in the familiar parts of yeah. the world that you could actually you know intrigue because uh, the Wallabies still have a grand brand. Yeah, no, they do. They do. They definitely do. Uh, Springboks legend Victor Matfield has confirmed over the weekend that he will work with Eddie Jones as part of the Japanese setup as a consultant line-out coach, which is interesting. Um, and Barry John, but the, the Welsh great fly half, played 25 games for Wales, inspired the British and Irish, British and Irish Lions in that famous series victory ever, New Zealand in 1971, retired at the age of 27, Died peacefully in hospital in Wales last week. He was seventy. What a legend! Somehow. What a legend! Yeah. The kind of guy running around the pitch where you always thought he's in he's in certain doom. It's about yeah. he's about to get smashed. He, he could kick seventeen different ways. Love the guy. I, I that or that is all history well before my time. But I certainly know about the legend of, of Barry John in, uh, in in Welsh rugby. Um, a little bit of news on the personal front, mate. Um, I can. Confirm. Oh, yeah, that's not the word. I can announce that uh, I have finished up with the Raw, um, Australia's uh, sporting opinion site, of which we potted for for a couple of years, and which I wrote for for fifteen years. Um, I decided with us moving the pod on that it was time for me to explore um, some greener pastures as well, and um, I'll have a little bit of news on that front in the next week or so, uh, where I start there in 
the week leading into uh, into Super Rugby, but that'll be a um, bit of a change for me. I will miss the audience at the Raw, and, and I'll be forever grateful for the Raw starting me in this this game. So uh, again, my thanks to Tony Harper, current the current editor, and all his predecessors who who gave me a crack um, from way back when. But you're going to keep going. No. Yeah, yeah, you're an honest writer, and I think what what always endeared you to the, the the crowd at the war, which is very vibrant, and will get into you, is that you you straight up uh, always solid with your sourcing and always stayed true to journalistic principles. Yes, I will still write my mad essays there from time to time, <laughs> uh, regularly. So I'm just I'm very busy in lots of other projects as well, including a. Uh, you know, hopefully the first really good rugby movie and a graphic novel. But uh, I'm sure you'll be missed. And um, I really think it was a fantastic innings, mate. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate you saying that. Um, but what have you got against the Invictus? <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to answer that. That Because that wraps up the very first episode for us under the 8-9 combo banner. Uh, how have we done? I reckon I'm, I'm giving us a tick here. It's oh, so Big cheer. Also, I want to reach out to a guy in the Sydney area named Matt. Uh, someone someone gave me a, a, a gave me a tip of this guy Matt, who's having a little bit of a struggle. Listen, Matt, to you, rugby is the salvation. Stick in there. Think uh, calm, strong thoughts. Uh, uh, fasten yourself to something really strong and good. Be vivid and be bold, and hang in there. I do think it's interesting how many people from my audience have reached out, uh, and I mm. think it's important that we we keep that yes, connection. We're not never going to be self important. That's not our style. But uh, we, we do value you, and we are very happy that you're coming with us uh, and listening mm. to us. So please hang with us as well. Not until the money starts flowing in anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, thanks to all of you out there in, in Rugby Pod World who have found us. If you are new to our work, then welcome. Um, if you know us from the last few years, then thank you so much for following us. Um, and speaking of following the potties on the socials, at 8-9-Combo on Twitter, on Insta, uh, and also on YouTube where you can find video versions of the podcast every week if you would prefer to watch. So wherever you find us, give us a follow, a like, a subscribe, um, and interact with the pod directly. Harry and I are on the socials in our usual places, at Harry Baldy Jones and at BMC Sport. Uh, on the ratings and the review front, we are absolutely starting from scratch. So if your pod platform allows it, please do leave us a rating and or a review. YouTube definitely does, um, and it all helps. And on the chart front, um, it was really heartening last week to see us straight back into the Australian and South African top 10. Uh, we debuted at 15 in Ireland. We're in the top 20 in the US, top 30 in the UK, and that is just uh, – we're blown away by that after a couple of teaser episodes. So do like, follow, subscribe on your pod platform of choice and on YouTube as well, and just make sure you get every new episode – as soon as it drops. This is the 8-9 combo, the short side set piece combination you didn't realise you needed coming from the podcast combination you already had. I'm Brett McKay. He's Harry Jones. We'll be back in your ears next week. Be like Bill Beaumont, come play with us.